Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. There has been a fall in cases of the new coronavirus, which is good news. Let's get an update on all of this and find out where we are. Let's bring in Dr. Isaac Bocock, staff physician, general international, or general inter, uh, internal medicine and infectious diseases, associate professor, Department of Medicine, University of Toronto, and is with us now. Isaac, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. First of all, let's talk about the name of this virus because now we, we, we seem to have a specific name to address it. What should we be calling this? Okay, so it's, it's confusing at best. They named the disease COVID-19, C-O-V-I-D hyphen 19. It stands for Coronavirus Disease 19. So that's the illness caused by the virus. And then the actual virus itself is basically called SARS-2. So, <laughs> I mean, so, I, I don't know. And you know what's crazy is it, all, it also took, like, two months for this to happen. And, in, you know, the medical, virologic, public health communities, we kept using novel coronavirus, but that's not appropriate because it's not going to be novel anymore. And, you know, we kept saying, okay, make a name, make a name. Um, and, you know, you, you can't just make a name. There's, there's got to be structure to it. You can't negatively impact china or wuhan it can stigmatize a region right uh so they came up with this and you know of course like anything else some people are happy some people are upset personally i don't care i'm just glad we have a name why name uh the actual virus and the illness that it causes separately what's the reason for that i wish i knew i mean it's (laughs) it's quite Hmm. silly when you ask me because there are lots of viruses that can cause the same illness um and uh you know not to get nitpicky here but for example there's something called hand foot and mouth disease pretty common in little kids uh and and there's various different types of viruses that can cause that so we have names for the virus but the disease is still called hand foot and mouth disease so i don't know why that's the case here i'm not sure that the illness is going to be uh I don't know. I'm not sure why. I, I think it confuses things, if anything. Uh, so that being said, uh, SARS-2, what, what, what's the similarity between this and SARS, or is this getting way too deep into the weeds? It's getting too deep into the weeds. I mean, the, the, so they're called the, the virus name is SARS-2. But, of course, we know that the illness right. is, is not SARS. I mean, it causes a different, right. it causes a different illness. It causes a, you know, but, it, but like, there's a, a, a lot of illnesses that cause, you know, a respiratory type of infection um you know many viruses do as does this one this illness is is far less uh severe than than SARS I know it's obviously uh, really unfortunate that there's been over a thousand people that have that have that have died from this there's over 40 close to 45,000 confirmed cases probably many more cases than that but you know SARS's mortality rate the the, the case fatality rate from SARS is on average, about 11%, whereas this one, the current statistics show about 2.1%, but most people know that this is actually going to be much lower than the 2% value just because they're, they're not able to account for a lot of the mild cases that are, uh, that are around as well. So, you know, it's not as severe an illness. Of course, it's still devastating when, when lots and lots of people get infected. But compared to SARS, the illness itself isn't as bad. So uh, it sounds like the concern of this is not so much, uh, as you mentioned, the severity of the illness itself, but the speed in which it's it's spreading from human to human. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if 
you know, I, I want to be obviously very respectful with, with my terms and, and how we phrase this because, you know, there are a, th- a thousand people have died. I mean, that's, that's obviously, yeah. that's tragic. Yeah. Uh, but, but when we, you know, more often it looks like there's a growing narrative and more often than not, people will have, people seem to have mild infection and people recover. Of course, that's not to say that, you know, some people aren't getting serious infection, require hospitalization and are, are succumbing to the illness. I'm just pointing out that it's not, it's not nearly, it does not nearly, it does not appear to be as, as severe as SARS. Uh, but of course, the concern is even if it's less severe than SARS, if it spreads more broadly and affects significantly more people, the absolute number of people right. that succumb to this illness is going to be greater. Right. So, so you know, all efforts to contain this and keep this in in, in check and keep this contained to China uh, are, are still being upheld. And, and you know, there's this essentially a full court press to to keep this contained in China. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, this this strain of this coronavirus not as deadly as SARS. Can that change over time? And and you did you did uh, uh, touch on this in the sense that why is there such concern if it is not as deadly? And that being the the speed in which it spreads. And I'm guessing specifically to those countries who may not have uh, the systems in place to contain it the way uh, countries such as Canada, or the United States, or or other countries around the world. Yeah, yeah. So I think two points there. One is that um, the, you know, if China is not necessarily able to contain it, and if there are ongoing, you know, cases in China and, and even beyond China, even, you know, it, it might, it might not, you know, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's certainly a scenario that we people are talking about openly. We have to be prepared for that scenario. Um, you know, even if we are in a, a you know, a high-income country with, you know, a rel- relative to the rest of the world, pretty impressive healthcare and public health standards. But like, if, if we're getting inundated with cases, just like everybody else would be in that situation would be, you know, it's, it would be tough. Like it, it would be, it would be very challenging for the, for the healthcare system. Uh, you know, currently they're doing a wonderful job. I mean, they are, They've ruled in in Canada seven cases, but that people often forget that there's been dozens and dozens of cases that have been ruled out as well, and that takes up a lot of resources yeah. up front while, while the diagnosis is still in the air. So, I mean, our, our system has been tested, and it has passed the test with flying colors. But, you know, if, if Canada, if, if there's, you know, uncontrolled cases, uh, you know, in China or elsewhere in the world that we're inundated with cases, our, our system will be stretched. Uh, and, and that's, that's, that's not a good. That's not a good place to. Be. But you know, as we pointed out earlier, the vast majority of people will likely be okay. But still, if there's that, that if there's yeah. just a high volume of people affected, we'll still have a lot of you know unfortunate circumstances. Uh, new information coming out of China that the number of new cases in China has dropped for the second straight day. How significant is this? Uh, a small arrow pointing in the right direction. You know, so it's actually been several days where it seems to have plateaued. And, you know, this could be reflective of, you know, A, truly their, 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 their efforts working and fewer and fewer new cases. Uh, or it could be, you know, B, reflective of a healthcare system that's stretched to capacity and just doesn't have the capability to make more diagnoses. Or C, it could also be reflective of how data is being reported, how data is being shared. Or it could be D, all of the above. 
So it's, it's, it's certainly something that we're watching closely. Certainly if it's true and reflective of the ground truth, um, that's fantastic news. Uh, you know, but uh, I, I think you know, no one's saying we should take the foot off the gas pedal here. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it's, there's still a long way to go to, to really make sure this is contained in, in China and uh, you know, also preventing the subsequent transmission of cases outside of China as well. So still lots of work to, to be done. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Once we finally get a handle on this and contain it as best that can be, um, how does China prevent this? I mean, first SARS, now this. uh, And obviously it creates chaos around the world, even if it is a less severe uh, illness than SARS. How does China prevent this? Yeah, I mean, this is what's called a zoonotic infection, which means it's transmitted. It went from a non-human animal to to a human. Uh, SARS uh, and now this, I mean, these were likely facilitated by, um, you know, markets where there is close proximity of humans with non-human animals. Um, and, you know, MERS, for example, which was not from China, but uh, from, you know, a Middle Eastern a country from actually emerged in Saudi Arabia, same, that was in close contact with, with camels and, and humans. So anytime, any place where humans are in close contact with live animals, uh, there, there's certainly the potential for viruses to jump over into humans and, and, and to cause these epidemics. So I think we have to be very thoughtful of our interactions with animals, how markets are set up, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's just, I mean... Just taking a step back and looking at the thirty thousand foot view here, it's impressive how you know something can start in a market, hmm. you know, in a corner of a city in central China, and and now you know twenty four countries are affected, and there's a massive epidemic in China. I mean, it's just it's incredible how globalized we we truly are and how interconnected the world really is. in Two thousand and twenty, because you know what happened as a, as a local problem is now a global problem. So I think we have to rethink. Our our interaction with uh, with animals and uh, how this is how this is done moving forward to prevent this from happening in the future. Uh, many have been critical of uh, China's mass isolation and 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 quarantine and the way they've handled things. Is, is that the answer? Is there a right way to do this? I mean, we're seeing uh, tourists stranded on cruise ships, and then all of a sudden, well, maybe that's not a good idea. We should get the healthy ones off. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. How do you handle this? Tough to know. I mean, it's, it's tough to know. Usually, so there's, there's a couple of things here. One is the, 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 the essentially these transportation and, and travel bans that China has imposed in the country itself. Uh, and, and, you know, historically, it haven't really worked all that well. Um, but in, in all fairness, it's hard to extrapolate from historic examples to this example, because nothing of this magnitude has ever been attempted before. And uh, I think we should also appreciate that in addition to those travel bans, meaning no planes, no buses, no rail going in and out of those affected regions, but also inside those regions, there's very limited public transportation as well. So coupled with those transportation bans are also um, uh, like social distancing. So, you know, large gatherings have been canceled and people are generally (laughs) staying to themselves. And, you know, It'll be, it, it's going to be interesting because, you know, I'm talking in hypotheticals here, but what if this works? You know, if this works and if China is able to contain it with these massive 
uh, initiatives that, quite frankly, I mean, impinge on you know on uh, human rights. Like this, uh, uh, we might be in a bit of an ethical conundrum the next time this happens again. You know, uh, I can't even imagine the logistics of having to provide food and medicine and, and essential needs for you know 60 million people that are that are essentially cut off. I mean, this is it's obviously a very challenging situation because there are certainly clear negatives to uh, restricting the travel to that that massive population. But, you know, if, if the positive is that, uh, you know, this is how you quell a potential pandemic, you know, we, I think the, the general community at large has to think, you know, is, is this worth it or not? When will we know if this, when this is over? When, what's the sign, what's the signal that says this is on the decline, it's on its way out? Do we know that yet or is that day by day? Yeah. Yeah, so two weeks ago I said two weeks, <laughs> but, but that's really right. not the case. Uh, I really think we will have some evidence as to what direction this is heading in, don't laugh me out of the room here, but in, in probably another two weeks or yeah. so. Because I think in another two weeks or so we'll have either you know consistent evidence of fewer new cases plus possible uh, corroborating evidence from other sources that may demonstrate the same thing, or we'll have the counterfactual of that, and we'll see, you know, oops, you know, there's more change of transmission outside of China. Oh, you know, there's, you know, spread of disease elsewhere in China. So I think, I think in the next two weeks or so, we should have a good appreciation of, you know, how is China actually doing? Uh, are there fewer exported cases? And I think we should also have a greater appreciation of if there are, you know, foci outside of China that have, um, you know, significant transmission. So, for example, currently, uh, lots of eyes are pointed towards Singapore. Small place, but there seems to be some ongoing chains of transmission there. Now, Singapore is well poised to get this under control. They have an incredible public health infrastructure. Uh, but, you know, if, if that happened in a place like Indonesia, um, or mm. uh, uh, you know, which is in the neighborhood and hasn't reported any cases, but they've only had the capability to diagnose this for the last week. Uh, or another, perhaps a low-income country that just doesn't have the same capacity to manage cases. You know, it might be a bit of a different situation. So I think we'll, we'll have a better picture of what, if this is going to continue to spread or if this can be quelled in the next two weeks. Dr. Isaac Bogosh has been with us, staff physician, general internal medicine and infectious diseases, associate professor, Department of Medicine, University of Toronto. Isaac, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Anytime. Have a good one. You too. 1227-900-CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. News coming up at the bottom of the hour. Pipeline protests when we continue. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on 900-CHML.